senior woman there. I ain't a senior yet. Thank you. 
and he put all things under his feet and gave him uh, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Who fills all in all. So that's it. That's the, the last uh, few verses in this chapter, so we'll get started. That's uh, actually the last sentence. That yeah. is a complete sentence he wrote in the Greek. It's one sentence. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so we'll pick up in verse 16, because we finished 15 uh, last week. So 16, it says, do not cease to give thanks. Uh, for you making mention of you in my prayer. Uh, uh, Paul thanked God for their faith and their love. Paul prayed for them continually. Uh, Paul, Paul prayed for Christians continually in Romans 1 9. Uh, Paul gives thanks to God every time for various churches in Philippians uh, uh, 1 uh, verses 3 and 4. Uh, Paul gives thanks to the Father as he prayed for Christians in Colossians 1 3. Paul gave thanks for the faith, love, and hope of Christians in 1 Thessalonians 3, 4. So this, this, this praying for them continually wasn't something that he just did here in Ephesians. It was part of what his daily uh, activity was when he offered up his devotion to God. Uh, and Paul gave thanks for them continually. Uh, Paul did not cease to give thanks for Christians continually. That's what we should do. We should thank God for the Christians that we have. The friends, even though we may not be in the same fold, we should thank God for all the Christians that are in His church. And lift them up. We're to lift, of course, we do that here in our church. We need to lift them up, be encouraged. And, uh, and so that's what Paul is telling them. You know, he, this is what he's saying. Give thanks always. Uh, Paul gave thanks for the grace of God as he prayed. You know, the only reason we can go to God is because of this what? Grace. Uh, and, and, and so he prayed. And that's first for, uh, First Corinthians 1 4. Now anytime that we're doing this study, if you have a question or a comment, please state. Do not be afraid to, to interrupt us. So that's what we're here for. Otherwise men Robert can take off and we'll we'll go, you know. So uh, Feel free to, to, to make a comment. Feel free to ask a question at any point or any time. Uh, Paul gave thanks for the love of Christ for one another. In 2 Thessalonians 1 3. What did he tell us to do? How are we to be recognized by the world is our love for one another? What did he tell us to do? Love one another as I have loved you. We're to love our neighbor as high. That's what I said. Imagine what that looks like. Imagine what that looks like. If you and, we're, go ahead. and we're disciples. They have to have that we're yeah. disciples. Right. Um, we're known as disciples for our love for one another within the church. Um, that is our um, Thursday night signature passage because as disciples, we love one another. And that's one of the first things. And this, this, uh, as you mentioned, for this reason, remember last time this entire sentence on the first half of chapter one is now being answered. 
He went through a glorious lifting up of prayer, and now he's still in the prayer. He, uh, he prayed for them personally. You know, Paul, Paul prayed that God would give them the spirit of wisdom, wisdom in Ephesians 1 17. Uh, Paul prayed that eyes of their understanding would be enlightened in that 1 18. Paul prayed that they would uh, know the hope of his calling. That's 118 also. Uh, Paul prayed that they would be strengthened with the might through his spirit, with might through his spirit, Ephesians 3.15, which we hadn't got there yet. Uh, Paul prayed Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith in Ephesians 3.17, we hadn't got there. Uh, Paul prayed uh, that they would be rooted and grounded in love. And that's also in 3. Uh, Paul prayed that they would know Christ's love in four dimensions. Ephesians 3 and that's 18 and 19. The four dimensions that we would know in it. Paul prayed that, that uh, we would be filled with all fullness of God. And that's in chapter 3. We'll get to that. But he, that's what he was praying for. He was praying for us to be enlightened. He was praying for us to be strengthened. He was praying for our, uh, for our wisdom. And he was praying uh, for the fullness of the Spirit in us. Think about that. Think about that. That's the way he's praying for us. Go ahead. Yeah, one of the theologians, Homer, that I've uh, listened to is, is saying this. Um, he states that the believer's acquisition of every spiritual blessing, the spiritual blessing that wrapped inside of this, sandwiched inside of here, is the several gifts of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we're talking about some 19 gifts of the Holy Spirit. But here's what he said. And it's just a, I'm wondering if, if you have, you just mentioned this, election, and this includes, as he says, election, predestination. So gift of, of the believer now. Predestination is a gift. Adoption the gift of the Gentiles, in particular, grace, redemption, well, that's for all creation here, if they acquire it, forgiveness, wisdom, now wisdom is a spiritual gift. This is a, this is a gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the gifting that the Holy Spirit has full control of, and then it goes to understanding, which is knowledge. This is another one of those gifts of the Holy Spirit, knowledge of the mystery of His will come outside of that, and the sealing of the Holy Spirit, which is all the Holy Spirit's work, and that is salvation and inheritance. And He's going deep into this with inheritance there. Paul was praying uh, that all believers uh, will have the disposition of godly knowledge. Now, with that being said, uh, that's insight of what God would have us to do, what God would have us to be uh, about. But it's also the fact that every believer is capable of this, and he was praying for the fullness of that. Every believer is capable uh, of coming to a, a perspective when you have a sanctified mind. Remember how we've been sanctified. We've been purified. And so we, we have the capacity to become 
think we, we think about the inheritance we have a lot. I mean, you know, yes, I'm going to heaven. You're, yes, you're going to heaven, but you're going to heaven as a joint heir with Christ. You are a brother and a sister of Christ. We are partakers of his inheritance. When he rules, we are there not as his subject, but as his brothers and sisters with him. So we've been grafted in the mind. We have the inheritance of Jesus Christ. What does it tell us what's going to happen when we die? And we're going to, and, and on that glorious day, we're going to put on what? Glorified bodies. What did Christ put on? Glorified bodies. You know, when we were raised or when we were buried in, with him, that was the old self. We talked about, like I talked about Sunday, you know, being in a coffin. If a, if a dead person's in a coffin, and, and I hate to be, you know, kind of calm, but he's comfortable there. I mean, he don't know either. He's comfortable. He's happy. But he put a live person in a coffin, and he closed that thing up. What happened? First off, he starts to get close to food. The second thing is that he's got to get out. It's dark. He's got to have light. And he's going to fight and trap and kick and claw. Wanting somebody to let him out. Well, we took off the old man. We crawled out of that car. We're not dead anymore. Remember, we were dead to sin and trespass. We took that off. We were accepted him. And we were, that's what the baptism is. It's a picture of what happened. We were buried. With, the old man was buried. And we were raised into a new creation. Remember, the minute you accept Jesus Christ, you become what? You're the first miracle. You are the first miracle. A lot of folks don't even realize that. That when you accept Christ, you've got the new heart, the new mind, the new, your whole outlook changed. It didn't happen that fast. Some things did, but other things had to work out. But you were new. Oh, trust me, you were new. Remember how excited you were? Yes, it was a miracle. Yeah, my, I remember my dad told me, man, I done heard all of it here. I was shoving up. I knew where I was going. What, what's interesting here in this knowledge is that the inherit, word inheritance, that this knowledge is woven in ahead of this. This knowledge comes from a Greek word, epinosios, in verse 17. Verse 17 in particular that that word um, is is knowledge, but it's happiness. It, its meaning is to personally know God with intimate awareness. But I need to say in all of His will, in all of His will, personally get to know Him. This is the Greek now, knowing Him with intimate awareness. Paul wants us, Paul is in, wanting us to intimately and personally to know uh, if we're the objective for the Ephesians in this verse 18 refers to acquiring this to the eyes of the heart. See? The eyes of the heart, not the mind. This knowledge is not coming from the mind. And it's a worshiping type thing. I mean, this Ephesians just explodes with worship. And, but he's wanting this uh, to be felt by the Ephesians. Christians, so it boils down to one statement. Christians must have a relationship, not a religion, in God. 
And that, that's where it's boiling down to. There's a huge amount of this sort of thinking in these verses. Okay, and I'll back up to 17 and run through this right quick. Uh, you know, God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Christ called him the Father in his prayer in John 17, 1 to 26. Uh, God is the Father of glory. Father is the one who deserves all glory. First uh, Chronicles 29, 11. And we're going back to Old Testament. Alright? The Father of glory is the one to whom we pray. Matthew 6, uh, 9, 13. The Father is the God of glory who appeared to Abraham in Acts 7-2. God gives us the spirit of wisdom and the knowledge of him. See, that spirit of wisdom is the knowledge of him. The spirit of wisdom is the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 11-2. The spirit of wisdom is the spirit of truth. John 14-7. The spirit of wisdom is the one who teaches us. John 14-26. The spirit of wisdom gives us wisdom that is from above. James 3-17-18. Uh, God gives us the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him. That's why we do Bible study. That's why we preach. That's why we still read our Bible every day. It's to have knowledge of him and what he's doing and how he works. Think about this. Those of us who are married, and say we, you know, when I first started dating Karen and we got married, uh, I had some things to learn. I mean, I needed, you know, I needed to learn some of the some of her characteristics. I needed to learn some of the facial expressions and some of the attitudes and you know, so that I could look at her and read her body language. And then I got to where I oh, I could read it just fine. Uh, and most of the time I was the cause of the reading, but anyway. Uh, it's kind of hard to have a relationship with someone you don't know. I mean, you know, the more we know about God, the more we know about his attributes. You know, I had to learn what Sharon liked. I had to learn what she didn't like. I had to learn what she was okay with. I had to learn what stuff that she wasn't so okay with. You know, and uh, and then I had to learn what she just flat out was good. You know, you know, or what she wouldn't. I'm going to do this. Yes. Right. Yes. We've been married 35 years come off. Me nor my two daughters could drink in a cup after her. Now, she didn't have a problem if she was choking or whatever to drink after mine, but she would not share her drink with me or Nicole or Courtney. Two grandsons? Oh, you. You know, they can drink after her. Not us, but they can. You know, and so uh, I asked her, well, what's, what's the difference? You ain't that. <laughs> so I said, okay. <laughs> You know, but, that, and, but that's the thing, you know, little things, little things like, so I knew that if somebody put their lips on her glass, when they were, she wasn't drinking, they were done, going and sink or whatever, except them too. So, but you, you get that through being around them. You learn what God's attributes are. You learn what he likes. You learn what makes him laugh. You learn what makes him upset. You know, and, and you do that by reading his word and, and meditating on it in prayer. And, and trust me, he'll let you know when you're not right. You know how you can, you can tell if your spouse is not happy. You know, you can, you can see it, you can feel it. Um, 
failure, failure analysis. But here, God is asking us to know who he is and through our heart, okay? And to feel when we do things wrong. And, and you, you've got to go back to Matthew where we were. You've got to go to Matthew 25, 31 and 46, and John 10, 14, where the good shepherd was hungry, and you fed me. I was in prison, and you visited me. He knows us. That's the reverse of this. So if we know him, then we must do those things where he knows us. I came face to face with this this last week. What are you doing on my property? <laughs> yeah, I told these guys a story. It's not a place to tell it all here, but guess what? I got turned around. And do I know what God is doing? And God was doing something right in front of my face, and it took a heartbeat to catch it. And I was so pleased with my mistake, especially recognizing my mistake, because now, what am I going to do with this image of God who is standing on my property? Long story. We don't need to go there. But the point is, Christians must have a relationship with God. And who's, who is that? The Word? Yes. But each of us and each of them. And each of the potential thems, the potential thems that are out there, 101, whosoever will. And you don't know who those, maybe the whosoever will has been hiding behind, I'm one of them, but they really aren't. And you've got to, you've got to break through that with what? With, well, it says, you fed me, you gave me a drink when I was thirsty, you took care of me. You visited me in prison. You care. You must know God. You must know Jesus. Who is this Jesus? It brings evangelism into, and this is what he's doing here. <clears throat> Praising God, the first part of it. We must praise God. We must have that in our heart before we can ever take it to that person and tell them story of the good news. God gives us the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of him. The spirit is the one who reveals things to us. In 1 Corinthians 2, 1, uh, the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. Why can't we receive the natural things? Because we don't understand spiritual things. The only way we can understand spiritual things is with a spiritual understanding. How do we get a spiritual understanding? With the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So, the Spirit reveals the love of Christ to us in Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. God is the source of understanding. 1, 18. God causes the eyes of our understanding to be enlightened. God is the one who opens our eyes in Psalm 119, 18. God is the one who opens our understanding in Luke 24, 45. If I'm going too fast to tell lightning verse down, you know, just Think about I can do it over the floor. Uh, God gives us light to give us understanding. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. I want us to know the hope of his calling. You know, he called us to a relationship with him. 
be a river of flowing water. Because when you pass it, you can't down it up. You've got to let it go. I mean, that's like I said. When I first came to Christ, man, everybody had enough. Everybody had enough. I couldn't keep them out good. Just think, when Jesus told the guy, you know, go home with us, don't tell them what. I guarantee you told everybody to sing. You know, he just, and God knew that. Uh, in the past, we were without hope in Ephesians 2 12. Uh, in the present, God wants us to know the hope of our calling. Our calling is to a relationship with Him, to be His brother and His sister, to be joint heirs with Him, to be part of God's family. We are adopted, grafted in, and we have we found out that we've received the full adoption. It's just like we were never anything else. Our our, our past has been quite clean. And Paul is grappling with this right now. He has Gentiles, but he has Jewish people. He has Jewish people that have become Christians, and he has now Gentile people who have no idea what Judaism is, who are now Christians. And he answers, and this verse, these verses are 15 to 19, packed with one basic word. And in 19, in belief, those of us us, 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 unity, who believe, who believe what? He told us what we believe. This is different than <coughs> Judaism, Judaism, or how you say that. This different than the pagans that come out of the Gentile world and, and the way they worship their pagan God. Remember, this is steep, steep Ephesians. He's going to tell you exactly here what we're hoping for. Yeah, this is the center of this, this uh, Diana, who they all worshipped before. So there's two big collisions between people here. And he must unite the, the, the audience here who are heretic. Go ahead. All right. Fire off on this because we look for the blessed. We look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearance of Christ. In Titus 2.13. That's what we're looking for. That, that's our hope. We're looking for the blessed appearance. We have a blessed hope in the glorious appearance of Jesus Christ. That's what we're looking for. That's where our hope is at. Uh, we have become heirs because of the hope of eternal life. When he saved us, when, when we were redeemed and we accepted Christ, and we received our salvation, for lack of a better term, some people call it converted. When we were converted, we have been living for Christ to appear in every turn and our hope of eternal life through Him. Uh, and that's Titus 3 7. God wants us to learn to give a defense for this hope within us. He's teaching us these things so that people say, How can you believe this? Well, because this is what happened. This is the promise of God. This is where I was. This is where I am. And this is where I'm going. And I know without a shadow of a doubt. And that's what it is. And we give it a defense. We give it a defense. You know, there was 13 people or more, well, 12 anyway, that went to their grave and would not denounce Jesus Christ. They personally experienced it. Eyewitnesses. Yeah, they were eyewitnesses. And yet, it would not denounce Jesus Christ. And people were trying to be, oh, that's just a lie. Well, I don't deny it. I have 
First Peter three fifteen is where that comes from. God wants us to learn to give a defense of this hope within us. God wants us to know the riches of His glory. What did He do? He wanted us to have life and more abundantly. The riches of His glory made possible the forgiveness of sin. You catch that? The riches of His glory made possible the forgiveness of sin. In Ephesians 1 7. The riches of His glory provided strengthening or provide the strengthening of our inner man. Ephesians 3.16. The riches of his glory make it possible to know the love of Christ. That's also Ephesians 3.17-19. God wants us to understand his inheritance to the saints. That inheritance is all we will carry Christ and Romans, I don't make sure much. That that inheritance is all we will share with Christ. Romans 8, 14 through 17. That inheritance includes eternal life, Acts 26, 18. This inheritance includes the Holy Spirit as a down payment, like we talked about. This is our guarantee. This is our security. That's a down payment, then we're going to get the rest of it. It, it, it is a it is a uh, uh, a term used uh, in legal things, but it's like real estate. We had been bought with the price. Mm-hmm. And the down payment was made by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to feed one more that. And that connotes ownership. Yeah. That's right. Uh, one right. Owners, he bought one of the things. Who's this week? Who's this week? And, and Paul brings out here the saints. Who, who are the saints? And this is a mixture of Greeks, Gentiles, and believing Jews who were becoming a Christian community. This is a group of people that were known as the saints. So the saints, it's, it's hard, but he's pulling them together as a singular word here that they must identify with. And what in the Bible does heart mean? Heart is the center of one's personality in the Bible. And this is this is brought uh, through by a gentleman, Poimer, who wrote commentary on Ephesians like nobody else. But Poimer is saying here that now Paul turns to the spiritual gift of knowledge, the knowledge of God, as a relationship, as a personality, and, and he's weaving in. The saint's personality. That's, you will see this ending in a most glorious uh, accolade of this. The, the personalities are drawn together of the saints and of God Himself as Christ. And you just said it in a number of ways right. the inheritance, right. and that we are brothers in, with Christ. All this is being portrayed. In just these few words, this one sentence, in fact, it's pulling together the saints, and we're going to see this landing in the most glorious way. But one of the other things is the Holy Spirit can't be left out of this. The Holy Spirit is wrapped up in the wisdom, in parts, communication, the central part.
part of this, communication. There's a whole thing wrapped up in here in the communication. It's called prayer. And prayer in the communication has preceded this in the first part of this. And this prayer is huge. Prayer. What is prayer? We'll get there. But it's communication with God. Prayer. Do we pray? And Paul, and I'll jump to it just now to give you the statistics. I'm being an engineer. I'm a little crazy on these things. But 39 of the 155 verses. In Ephesians, 25% of his letter are related to prayer. 30, that's quarter of, of what he's talking about here is he's talking to God. He's talking to God heavily in his first chapter. Talking directly to God. And we're listening as if he's talking to us. But no, 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 he's talking to God about us. And about who the saints are and about how this all works. The doctrines of predestination, the doctrines of, of that we studied earlier are all wrapped up almost as he's praying. As he's praying, as he's praying. He's brought us into the throne room of God in that first part of the step. Now he's still praying the blessings from God on the people in the congregation who are now, I like what Robin said, she reminded me, unity here, unity. I can't stress that enough. I forget it too much. Unity. We brought that up last time. Unity. He has to pull these people together. Why? Because they're being tugged in every imaginable direction by the pagans. There's over 50 gods in this place. Of course, Diana's the big one. What's the other name for? I can't remember. Um, but anyway, there's another temple to the god of whatever, and it's mentioned in the Bible. But this is the same one as Diana. And I think early on I had a name. I can't remember right now. But that particular um, and we had the doctrine of election heavily poised in this first part. But he's trying to tell them we've been elected and pulled away from this, this world of, of the multiple gods and of the temple that was dedicated 400 BC. I know it's not the time of this writing, but it was dedicated to Diana. But a lot of things were already in place for Diana. And so the Gentiles and the Jews, under extreme differences, are coming together here. They're forging this unity. And this is a time that's uh, it's trouble. And it's kind of like what's going on. Yeah. Amongst our denominations, too. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, you know, in verse 19, Paul prayed for growth and understanding and the power of God. It, understanding the power of God. Uh, 
style of work is dynamis in the Greek. It means a dynamic, dynamic means a, a very functional living force for believers, which is the working power of God, not ours. A might that overcomes resistance used in Christ's miracles, kratos in the Greek, a little different word. And let me back up so I don't confuse you. Power, dynamis in the Greek, means a dynamic living force for believers, which is the working power of God, which is miracles, in, in a sense. A might that overcomes resistance using Christ's miracles was kratos, singled out, never used for believers, never ever. This power that overcomes is used only for God's inherent strength, never a believer practice. So Paul's magnificent accumulation of these words for God's great power is trying to say there's you guys and there's God, and you guys are different, and this great power is, is coming forward now in these verses. I don't want to get ahead of them, but towards the end, He's going to talk about the Kratos and, and not uh, the dynamic power that he does for us called dynamics. The, the power of God is working with my power. Right? The power of God is able to turn up from the power of Satan. That's in Acts 26.18. The power of God is able to save. That's Romans uh, 1.16. The power of God is able to make us new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 The power of God works in us to complete His will. Uh, Philippians uh, 2.13 The power of God gives us His power to witness. Acts 1.8 And the power of God empowers our preaching. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 God wants us to understand why the resurrection shows His power. Now this verse 20 here. God showed his power in Christ. The Father gave Christ power to rise again. And of course, that's in John 10, 18. God will also raise us by his power. 1 Corinthians 6, 14. God raised Christ from the dead. We are in Christ. We will be raised from the dead. Manifestations of 
Christ is at the right hand interceding for us. Think about that. How many of us have prayed for somebody? You know, one of your friends calls and says, look, I need you to pray for me. I'm having a rough time. And we go and we get our knees and we pray for them. And a day or so they tell them, man, thank you for that prayer. It got me through the day. Jesus Christ is in heaven at the right hand of God interceding for us individually. Power in Christ is seen in placing every 
it's different. Um, third manifestation of God's power in Christ is his appointing Jesus over the church. The fellowship of believers, verse 22b, in Christ's body, and is complete again in the future. So Pointer expresses, um, well, I'll stop because that's going to get into the next concept. Well, 21, uh, 21 starts out, we, we finished up verse 20. And so God wants to understand how Christ demonstrates his power. And brought our head on a lot of this. Christ is far above all things, power, power, might, and dominion. God has exalted him above all things. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, uh, God made Christ head of the principality and power, Colossians 2, 10. God created all things through Christ, Colossians 1, 15 through 19. He let me know that he was there during creation. He was letting me know that there was nothing that was made that wasn't made with him, without him. Christ is far above every name in his present name. Uh, Christ has been given all authority in Matthew 28, 18. Uh, Christ is over the principalities of this world, Ephesians 6, 12 and, uh, through 13. Uh, Christ is far above every name in the age to come. Christ will rise all from, or will raise all from the dead. Christ will be victorious over all enemies. He's not just going to raise, he's not just going to raise the saints. He's going to raise every living human being. Every dead human being. They're all going to be raised. Uh, and then Paul prayed for understanding uh, of Christ at the head of the church in 22 and 23. And you know, God made Christ the head of the church. Christ had all things placed under his feet. God will place all enemies under his feet. God will place all created things under his feet. God will place all things under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so uh, Christ was made, the, was, was made the head over all things to the church. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the body of the church. Christ has all fullness dwelling in him. Christ is the head who makes us complete. Christ is the head who joins all parts together. Christ is the head who deserves all glory. Christ is the head of the church. Christ has become the chief cornerstone. Uh, and so I'll go back and give you those verses that I prefer. And then God said that the church is the body of Christ. And I'm late. Verse 23. The church is the body of Christ. The body of Christ makes those members of one another. Romans 12, 5. The body of Christ has many different members. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. The body of Christ has many individual members. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. The body of Christ makes both Jews and Gentiles fellow heirs in Ephesians 3, 6. The body of Christ is to grow to maturity in Ephesians 4 12. Christ is the Savior of the body, and that's Ephesians 5 uh, 23. Christ led Paul to suffer affliction for the sake of his body, uh, and that's Colossians 1 24. The church is the fullness of Christ who fills all things. Of his fullness, we have all received, John 1 16. Christ is the head who is to have the preeminence over everything. He's to be preeminent in our lives. Christ is the one uh, in whom all fullness dwells.
demonstrates all the fullness uh, of God in bodily form. Christ is the one who makes us complete in him. Christ is the one who triumphs over all things. Christ wants to fill us with all the fullness of God. Christ is the one who himself fills all things. Christ is the one who is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. Uh, that's why it's pretty good. And that brings us to the end. Really? Uh, right. I have one more uh, part of this. The end is ending. Uh, now we see the end of Christ. The end of Christ. I don't know how many of the world we had last time. So many. But it falls in this, this authority God has given Jesus over the universe. And this is over all the created beings, all of the divine beings in heaven, over all things. That Christ is now in us. So and if we are in him. The church is the body of Christ. The Christ is the head of the church. It's one being. It is two things. The head and the body cannot be separated. It's, it's a union that now makes the church co-rulers over all things. That's more heavy than we can explain. That is, is making the saints part Servants of all. It, 
so that we can